We're continuing on in our series in the book of Proverbs. I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 6 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 16 to 19. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19 as we continue on here. The title of the message, That Which God Hates. That Which God Hates, beginning in verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. You've probably often heard it said that as believers in Christ, we are to love what God loves. But I wonder how often do we really consider in our own lives, in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, in the motivations of our hearts, do we also hate those things that God hates? And I can give a blanket statement this morning to say that God hates sin. And so any sin doing anything that is displeasing to God or in opposition to God or that is falling short of the glory of God is something that God is not pleased with, something God hates and something that ultimately would cause you and I to be in a position before God that we would be under the wrath of God but for the sacrifice of Christ. But this morning in Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 to 19, the writer of Proverbs here is sharing six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And as I looked at this passage, as I read these verses, and I thought about the reality of what is being said here, is that the author is listing seven sins that are an abomination to God, that God hates. And so I hope you will, as as I hope I do, would look at this as a follower of Christ. If you know Jesus today, if you serve God today, if you're a child of God today, I hope you would approach this text with the same mindset that I think all of us should. And we should look at this text and say, okay, God, if these are things that you hate, if these are things that are an abomination to you, I want to know what they are because I too want to not love or pursue these things out of a desire to honor God, out of fear of God, out of reverence for God, out of respect for our God. Now, there's a lot of conjecture around these verses. A lot of conjecture and a lot of things that people bring out. And there's a lot of things that we could highlight in these verses by way of of some of the things that are interesting. The reality that he starts with the first five that he lists, citing different individual body parts. He speaks about the eyes and the tongue and the hands and the heart and the feet. The final two, he speaks about actual uh, individuals who are doing these things. And some would say even individuals that are doing these things in the context of a court of law or in in proceedings. But I believe, I I think that when God lists these sins for us, and he lists them in this list for us, he's listing them on purpose for a reason, because he wants us to note these things that God detests, that are an abomination to him, and that you and I as believers would read this list and say, if these things are present in our lives today, they need to be removed. Now my hope, my goal this morning is not to 
preach and to share and cause you to feel completely discouraged or, or down and out as you leave from here. My hope is that we will be able to view these things that God hates that are an abomination to him, recognize them for what they are, realize the necessity of removing them from our lives if they're present, turning away from these things if they're present. But I don't want to stop there. This morning I also want to go to the next step in saying, hey, what can we replace these things with in our lives? As we go from here serving and honoring our Savior. And so let's look at these together. The first one that's listed here, the verse 17, are haughty eyes. Your translation, depending on what you have, may say a proud look. Commentators would agree as they look at this statement of haughty eyes or a proud look. These are eyes that are lifted up in arrogance. There's this mindset or attitude of pride and arrogance in the individual. I wonder how many of us have ever dealt with that personally. <laughs> Pride, arrogance, haughty eyes, eyes lifted up in arrogance. Probably all of us would say guilty if we're honest. You may be, even be able to look back at the past week, the past day, or this morning, right? And be able to say, man, I, I think I've, I've fallen victim to this particular sin many Times The word of God tells us that pride comes before the fall. Be careful when you think you stand lest you fall. There's this mindset, there's this attitude when it comes to a proud look, haughty eyes, prideful thinking that swells up within ourselves of a self-dependence, a self-reliance, a self-congratulations, right, on our pat our own back because of the job that we've done, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, which really is the direct opposite of so much of God's word's instruction to us, isn't it, as believers in Christ? In Philippians chapter 2, we're told, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ Jesus was not of one of arrogance and haughtiness. It was not one of, look at me. It was one of, let me glorify my Father who is in heaven. It was a mindset of selflessness and sacrifice. And yet, we too often are so prone to this proud look and these haughty eyes. And, and it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to allow pride and arrogance to rule our thinking and our minds and our lives because we think of ourselves a particular way. If we're honest, so much of what we do, what we do, what we say, what we wear, where we shop is fueled by pride. It's fueled by this spirit, this mentality, this attitude of having a proud look or haughty eyes or lifting up ourselves in arrogance because we think of ourselves better than we ought to. I came across a, a story over the weekend. It was all over social media. Right now, uh, Major League Baseball has their playoffs going on. And I came across a story that was all over social media about one of the games that was taking place. There was a pitcher by the name of Zach Granke. And some of you that follow baseball know who that is. But he's a very good pitcher for the Houston Astros. Well, it was found out that there was a scandal in baseball because the Houston Astros, who won a world championship, uh, it was found out that they were cheating. They were stealing signs uh, the year that they won this baseball championship. If you're an Astros fan, you still say allegedly, but they were caught. And, and so it was caught that they were stealing signs. And what they were doing was when the batter on the Houston Astros team would get up to bat, 
he'd be waiting for the pitch, and the Astros figured out a way to let the batter know what pitch was coming. So if you're a pitcher and you're wanting to have the upper hand on the batter, you want to keep them guessing. You don't want them to know if you're going to throw a fastball or a curveball. And if you ever watched baseball, you can tell when the batter is confused because it will be a curveball and he's already stepping, getting ready to hit it because he thinks it's a fastball and he's stuck. It's a perfect pitch right over the plate. And if you don't know baseball, you might think, why would he not swing at that? Well, it's because he was duped because he didn't know what pitch was coming and he was guessing wrong. Well, the Astros took the guessing away from it, allegedly, where what they did is they had someone who was beating a trash can a particular way out in the uh, dugout area or bullpen area so that when the batter would hear a particular sound, they knew it was a curveball that was coming. And so they were just destroying the ball. I mean, they were, they were hitting home runs. Their batting average was through the roof. It was all these things. So this year was almost like a year of retribution by many baseball players against the Astros. And at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of pitchers that were thrown at the Astros batters. And, um, and if you're a baseball fan, you're baseball like, yeah! If you're not, you're like, that's so sad. But that's what they did. <laughs> so over the course of the year, Zach Granke, that I'm aware of, at least did this twice, where kind of in a prideful, arrogant way, because he thought his pitching was so good, he'd be standing at the mound, and when he was getting ready to throw the ball, he would hold up the number two to the batter to let them know he's about to pitch a curveball. He wanted the batter to know the pitch he was going to throw. And I remember he did it during the regular season, and people were just amazed. They're like, I can't believe he's doing this, because what he was saying was, my curveball is so good, it does not matter if you know it's coming or not, you ain't hitting it. <laughs> and it made headlines and news and everything else, because he threw it, and the guy whiffed, and it was like the funniest thing, like, wow. What he was trying to say was, it doesn't matter if you know what signs are coming or not, you still have to hit the ball. So in the playoffs, over the weekend, Zach Granke was on the mound, and it was a 0-0 game, and there was two runners on base. And the batter's up to bat, and Granke's at the mound, and he stands there, and he does this, too. Tells the batter, my curveball's coming, and he throws his curveball, and the guy hit a three-run home run. <laughs> Which I thought was fantastic as a, as a fan, because the Indians would have won a World Series if the Astros weren't cheating. Well... <laughs> But my point is this, when he did that, I thought, what an arrogant guy to do that. What pride to think, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to throw, but you can't touch it. And the guy proved him wrong. Disaster. Absolute disaster. Now, some of us, when it comes to the area of pride and arrogance, we would hear that story and be like, yeah, been there, done that. Not in the playoffs, throwing a pitch and telling people what's coming, but we've all done it where we've said, oh, I got this with no problem. I can't be touched. That's what's in our mind. And we fail miserably. And sometimes we can get away with it. And sometimes it's not that big of a deal, but other times it is. And, and let me just share with you something. That is something that our God hates. He hates a proud look, haughty eyes in individuals who ab have absolutely zero right to have that pride. It's not coincidental that the word of God tells us that apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. So how do we, who are absolutely the best at doing nothing, <laughs> promote pride in ourselves for that which we could do? Think of that. 
There's no room for that. And yet, we don't have to be taught this, do we? It comes so naturally. It comes so naturally. I remember watching years ago the kids singing for the Christmas uh, Eve service, and we had our children's ministry singing, and all the kids were lined up on stage, and we had, I think, four or five microphones on stands in the front so the kids could be heard. And there were a couple little girls standing in the front row right up here that the entire time they were singing, they were jockeying for position to be heard on that microphone. And I know what you're thinking, like, where are the parents at? Well, one of them was my daughter. And so I'm watching that and I'm like, terrible, terrible. You know? but, but it's one of those things that I didn't have to teach my daughter to do that. I didn't tell her that, honey, when the mic's there, you knock that other girl out of the way and you get to the mic. She just did it. Why? Because she's thinking in her mind, I have the best voice. Hello? Why wouldn't I be the one singing into the microphone? Listen, we don't have to be taught that. Because it comes to us, doesn't it, in our sinfulness and the evilness of our heart and the selfishness of our minds, it comes to us that we ought to promote ourselves. And, and man, some of us are really trying hard to do that. Every relationship, every conversation, everywhere we go, our jobs, our families, our wardrobe, everything about us is promotion of self. Look at how great I am. And that is that which God hates. And so this morning, if that is characterizing your life or my life, friends, I want to share this morning as a child of God, that needs to change. It needs to change. We'll talk about how in a minute. Moving on, number two, he says, a lying tongue. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Now, listen, if I passed out like electronic surveys with buttons that had seven lists of these sins, and I said, hey, every time I mention something that you're like guilty, push your button, buttons would be going off all over the congregation for the first two, I think. Haughty eyes, proud look, a lying tongue. Probably all of us are guilty for this. This is a person who has a characteristic about their life that there's no regard for the truth. And hopefully as a follower of Christ, you're not characterized by a lying tongue. But we are all guilty of lies, of telling a lie, of saying lies. Again, this is something that we're really, we really don't have to be taught how to do this. I remember one of my earliest memories in my childhood, like as a kid, where I really disappointed my parents and, and really let them down and, and I think even hurt my mom, was the first time my mom realized how good of a liar I was. And I didn't have a relationship with Christ, and so I had no conviction about lying. I didn't care. All I cared about was what I wanted. And I remember as a, as a young boy, I wanted to go to the movie theater with my friends, and I wasn't permitted to go unless an adult was going to be there with us. I was kind of young. And so I told my parents that, yeah, adult will be with us. My buddy's dad's going to be staying with us the whole time. And so we went to the movies, and he dropped us off at the movie theater, and he left. Which, by the way, parents, if you don't know your kids will do that, they'll do that. And after the movie was over, and I got dropped back, back off at home, my mom was standing in the dining room, and I remember she was there, and she had this look on her face. And, and I walked in, and my mom said, hey, how was the movie? And I said, oh, it was great. And she said, so... Did John's dad stay with you the whole time that you were there? I'm like, oh, yeah. 
I'm like, he was there the whole time. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, John's little brother was there too. Because he had a little, little brother. And I was like, hey, he kept wanting to sit on my lap. I kept having to move him out of the way so I could see the screen. I mean, I made, I was so good. I made up, I made up a story that like, if anybody hears it, they would be like, oh, I'm sorry you couldn't watch the movie, honey. Maybe I'll take you again. You know, it was that good. And I'm not exaggerating. I remember this conversation with my mom because of what followed. And, and I, I told my mom all this. And my mom's face just was so distressed. She looked so downcast as I was telling her this. And, and I said, yeah, and I didn't get to see much in the movie, blah, 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 blah. I went on and on and on. And finally she stopped me and she said, that's really something, she said, because I ran into John's dad at the grocery store while you were at the movie. And so I want you to imagine, here I am as a young, young kid, I don't have a relationship with the Lord, my mom trusts me fully, I was kind of like a mama's boy, if you want to say that a little bit, the only son of my mother, <laughs> I had two daughters, or I had two daughters, two sisters, and she's looking at me just so distraught, and she's so upset, and I'm standing there, and I was caught. And so it's a sad, sad moment. I remember, I remember to this day looking at my mom. I was caught. I knew it. And I knew how bad she felt. And here's what I said to her. I said, Mom, I said, please don't tell Dad when he gets home. <laughs> that, was, that was all I cared about. <laughs> That's, that was it, okay? I cared nothing more than please don't tell Dad when he gets home. And uh, I won't tell you what happened when my dad got home. I wasn't taught that. No one sat me down and said, hey, to get what you want, here's how you lie. I just did it. And too often as believers in Christ, the things that God hates come so naturally to us. A lying tongue is one of those things. Our God is a God of truth. Our God's desire for you and I is that we would be promoters of truth, that we would stand on the truth, that we would know the truth, that we would live the truth, that we would preach and proclaim the truth. Jesus told the Pharisees that they were of their father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. Might a lying tongue not be something that characterizes your life or my life as a believer? A lying tongue is that which God hates. He goes on in the passage in verse 17, says, In hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. Out of everything on this list, this one may, as you even read the words, jump off at the page of how absolutely destructive this is. How hurtful this is. Hands that shed innocent blood. A lack of self-control is implied here. A lack of control over anger could be implied here. A lack of value for the sanctity of human life. The absolute image of God in every life. Our God hates hands that shed innocent blood. We know the commandments, thou shalt not murder, is one of them. But God really highlights this here, and I, I believe highlights it on purpose when he says hands that shed innocent blood because there is such a repulsiveness to this. 
this is something that should strike us at our hearts. Because we live in a society and culture today where so many have become so desensitized to this. But the word of God tells us God hates hands that shed innocent blood. TV shows, movies, video games would promote the opposite. But our God hates hands that shed innocent blood. May I take time this morning to share with you this is why as believers in Christ, one of the reasons why as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, every follower of Christ should be so unapologetic, forthright, and bold in our stance for the value, dignity, and sanctity of human life from the moment that a child is conceived in its mother's womb until the day that that child grows and dies. This is why we support Pregnancy Solutions, who seeks to be an aid to expectant mothers, and why we support as a church ICU Mobile Image Clear Ultrasound that seeks to care and share with expectant mothers, to share with them the life of the child that is within them and the gospel of Jesus Christ that can transform their lives. This is why as believers in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you this year as every year in the election cycle to vote for candidates that value the dignity, sanctity, and worth of the life of the unborn. There are many areas politically where we can disagree. There are many areas politically where believers may have varying opinions and varying thoughts. But on this issue, there is no other opinion that should be valued by the believer in Christ than the value of that life of the unborn. And so I want to challenge you today. I don't want to make this the main thing today, but I want to challenge you today. Before you would ever cast a vote for any candidate that is for the shedding of innocent blood, stop and read this again. Because that is something that God hates. And I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. But I am here to share with you as a believer in Christ... It does not make sense for the believer in Christ to support or vote or desire to give power to any individual that would desire to shed the blood of innocent life. It's that which God hates. This is not a small matter. This is just not another matter. It's a matter that God values. And those that fear God should value. And so please, with a conscience before God, be sure of what you are doing as a believer in Christ as you vote. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. A heart that devises wicked plans. There's a selfishness here. There is an all-about-me attitude here. There's a premeditated shift in desire for evil here. A heart that devises wicked plans. Some would say that this attitude holds with it a disregard for the well-being and care of any others out of a deference for one's own success and preferences. Wicked plans, evil plans, ungodly plans. 
I think of Cain and Abel immediately when I read a heart that devises evil plans. Cain and Abel, the story that is told to us all the way back in the book of Genesis. The first murder of a human being recorded in God's word where Cain would murder his own brother Abel. And why? Well, the word of God tells us because Cain's heart was evil. His heart was evil. But Cain was someone who premeditated the murder of his brother. He was someone who had a heart that was evil, and he had a heart that devised wicked plans. A heart that devises wicked plans. And listen, as a child of God today, if we as followers of Christ today find ourselves stirring over, stewing over, planning and premeditating our sin, we must change. Because it's that which God hates. A heart that devises wicked plans is not a heart that should mark the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. It's that which God hates. Wicked plans, evil plans, ungodly plans. And it leads to this fifth list that he gives here, the fifth in the list. It's feet that make haste to run to evil. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Listen, there's a pursuing of evil. There's a pursuing of evil over a pursuing of righteousness. Again, premeditated sin. Listen, we know what God's word says about sin. The believer is to flee youthful lust, to run away from it. The believer is to resist the devil. That when temptation comes, we're to look for a way of escape. In other words... We are to flee it. We are to run the opposing, opposite way of where the temptation is coming. When sin comes our way, we're to be watchful, we're to be vigilant. Because our adversary, the devil, wants to devour us. All that God's word tells us about the believer's response to sin is one of fleeing. It's one of resisting. It's one of combating. It's one of going against. It's one of running the opposite way. And yet here... In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, in the things that God hates, he says, feet that make haste to run, not to righteousness, not to goodness, not to love, not to God, but feet that make haste to run to evil. And if today you and I call ourselves children of God, and yet we are found guilty of day in and day out making haste to run to evil, we better check our heart before God that we belong to him. Because this is something God hates. And there are so many examples of sin that we can point out that take planning and thinking and premeditation. There are so many examples of sins that take place in our lives that they just don't happen. They're planned for. They're embraced. They're welcomed. Adulterous relationships. Affairs. Pornography men. Gossip. Envy and greed. There's a preoccupation and a giving of our minds and hearts to something that we're running to as opposed to running from. And God says he hates the feet that make haste to run to evil. Might this not be true of our lives as believers in Christ? 
might it not be true of our lives as we seek to pursue righteousness rather than sin? We have to hurry. Number six, verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. We've already talked about a lying tongue, but this is a little bit different and a little bit more specific. A false witness that breathes out lies. This is seeking to distort and subvert justice. The truth is known by this individual, but the individual is seeking it to be hidden. He doesn't want the truth to be known. He wants to deceive. He wants to turn away the eyes and heart and mind from what is truth to that which is a lie. A false witness. Listen, we see this today in our political world, don't we? False witnesses who breathe out lies. And this is on both ends of the spectrum. Wherever you are politically, every political party guilty in this regard. And when we see this constantly and consistently, how refreshing is it when we actually see truth? Might we be known? As followers of the one true living God, who is the author of truth, as those that speak truth. Not as false witnesses that breathe out lies. And then number seven, one who sows discord among brothers. I wonder how many of us have been guilty of this, even in the church. That our desire is not one of unity and oneness but one of discord and problems. I wonder how slow are we to speak when we know what we're going to say is going to cause dissension and discord. I wonder how quick are we to speak without any kind of care or acknowledgement for the well-being of the body of Christ because of our own selfish motivations or pride. Our God hates the one who sows discord among the brethren, we are called to be unified. God's word is very clear how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. God's desire, Paul the Apostle shared this so many times, his desire would be that his children are walking in truth, that they are unified around the gospel. And yet so often we can be so guilty of unifying around our own selves rather than around the gospel of Jesus Christ. God hates these things. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So how might we respond to this this morning? Well, I want to share with you a passage found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26 that you may be very familiar with, and this is what it says. But I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, as you read that list, many of that list is seen right in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19. These are things that God hates. But he says, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against 
Such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. What a contrast. And please don't miss. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. May we put to death the previous list. Might those things not be named among us? But let us replace those things. May I suggest this morning, one, let us replace arrogance with humility. Let us replace arrogance with humility. Instead of being prideful, arrogant, haughty, proud, let us be humble, even as Christ demonstrated humility. Number two, let us replace lies with truth. There should never be a question in our minds as believers, when is the acceptable time to speak truth? Always speak truth. Let us replace hatred with love. Let us replace wicked intentions with selfless ones. Let us replace a running towards evil with a running towards righteousness. Let us replace falsehoods with authenticity. And let us replace discord with unity. I believe as a follower of Jesus Christ, we should hate those things that God lists that he hates. We should not be marked by arrogance and a false sense of pride in self, but with humility. We should not be those that are spewing out lies, but those that are known and found guilty for proclaiming and preaching the truth, always. We should not be those that are quick to hate others that harbor bitterness or anger or hatred in our heart towards others, but we should be those that love our enemies and do good to those that would hate us and use us. We should be those that are marked by love as those that have been loved by Almighty God. We should replace wicked intentions, a desire for things that are evil, a desire to do something that would be selfish and about ourselves with selfless intentions, with esteeming others better than ourselves because God has called us to that. We should not be running to evil, but let's start running towards righteousness. When was the last time we woke up and this morning said to God, God, help me today to pursue Christ-likeness. Help me today to run towards righteous living rather than evil living. To run towards righteousness rather than sin. Because I want to glorify you and you are a righteous, holy God. Let us replace falsehoods with authenticity. Folks, be real. Be real about who you are without Christ and be real about who you are now in Christ. You are alive in Christ. You are no longer dead but alive. You're no longer an enemy of God but a child of God. You no longer have uncertainty regarding your future. You have hope and certainty of eternity that the world does not have. You know the answer for sin. It's Jesus. You know the answer for death. It's the gospel. So let's be authentic and bold about what we know to be truth instead of speaking falsehoods or lies. And let us replace discord with unity as believers in Jesus Christ today. If you have something against a brother or sister in Christ, you need to make that right. And you need to either let love cover that or you need to approach your brother or sister in Christ and say, we need to talk this through because our God desires unity in the body and not discord. What God hates is very evident and clear, but so is what God loves. So are the commands of God for you and I as his children. If our lives are being marked by that first list of seven, 
might you take this list of seven and ask for his help, his strength, to be able to change those things, not in your own power, but in the power that he gives, so that you might glorify Christ, because he's worthy of that. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for timeless wisdom in the book of Proverbs that is so relevant and important for us to understand and to embrace today. I pray that you would help us to be marked by righteous living, unity as a body of Christ, because you are worthy of that, Lord. And we want to glorify you. Might you increase and might we decrease. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.